Finding a job can be overwhelming. This is true whether you're a recent graduate or an experienced executive. Many job seekers feel frustrated because they can't find the right opportunities or haven't been called for an interview despite responding to dozens of job postings. In this episode, I'll discuss job search and career strategies with Maria Fry, president of Executive Consultants of New York and CEO and founder of the ECNY Foundation. Her ECNY job search bootcamp and LinkedIn strategy programs provide services for executives, students, graduates, veterans, and the unemployed and underemployed on Long Island, successfully assisting over 5,000 individuals in getting back to work. Maria, welcome to our podcast series. Thank you for having me, and thank you to NYIT and New York Tech for having me as well. We're thrilled that you agreed to join us today, and I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. But before we begin, please describe for our listeners your background and how you became an executive consultant and career strategist. Absolutely. Well, first of all, this was not something that I ever expected in a million years because public speaking was something I was absolutely terrified about. Now, that's all I do. So my background was originally in corporate operations. I always loved anything that had to do with business development, international business, measuring what worked, what didn't work, strategizing, managing KPIs or key performance indicators. To this day, I track pretty much everything. 14 years ago, I decided that I wanted to change from the corporate environment, and I was offered a unique position, which I almost did not take, with an executive recruitment firm, and I found it fascinating to have the ability to relocate people around the world and help them really find fulfilling work, and having lived in Europe for numerous years myself, working with international clients and using my language skills and my expertise in other countries and So uh, two years in, many of my clients started asking me for career strategy assistance, and that's when the concept of ECNY came about. Now, you started ECNY when, again? So ECNY was started 12 years ago. Okay, and then in starting that firm, your idea was to do not only executive consulting, but you, you you were starting out primarily as helping people along in their careers to find that new position. Yes and no. So when we first started, we were a retained executive search firm that also provided career strategy. The, boss, the, the people that I worked for prior did not want to do anything other than recruitment. And I said, you know what, but we have so many people that we can't place that need the success of a really great resume or be able to really expound on what it is that they do. And we were not allowed to do that. And so that was when I kind of made the decision. I said, you know, this is This is something that we need to look at. Plus, we were in the midst of the housing crisis, and with everything falling apart, people losing their jobs, there was so much opportunity out there. It's just that, unfortunately, the company that I work for did not want to do that. Now, again, having a business background, it kept gnawing at me, and I kept saying to myself, I was like, we need to do this. It is a good move. It is a positive move, and I think that we can really make something of it. So within just a few months, we actually stopped recruiting altogether and did strictly career strategy. And so career strategy, so that's not only looking for that next job, but also how do you define your skill set and, and how do you put your resume together? Maybe oh, yeah. sort of how do, you, how do you sell yourself? How do you sell yourself? Yeah. You know, I think um, one of the most important things about selling yourself is really being confident in what it is that you believe or know that you do very, very well. So for me, this is actually, I'm going to put this out there to everyone listening. I challenge everyone to identify their top three core offerings. 
For me, my top three core offerings are operations, strategy, training, and development. I think it's so important to not just know what these things are, but be able to give very specific examples and walk people through scenarios where you have, you know, basically utilize these skill sets to achieve success. And unfortunately, many, many individuals out there, and I don't care what level they're at, whether they're just starting out or my C-suite executives that I work with, it is not an easy thing for us to do. They're like, well, I did it. And I'm like, well, that's not good enough. You know, when someone is asking you a question, you know, oh, I see you grew sales 10% to last year. It's not okay to just say, yes, I did that. You need to tell them, well, I worked cross-functionally with this division and that division to ensure that blah, blah, blah happened. And that's how we got there. So understanding how you achieve something, it is absolutely critical. And that is one of the biggest reasons why people do not get asked back for a second interview because they can't expound on what they said they're good at. And I also see that in resumes as well. You know, bullets are not just, oh, did this. How did you do this? You know, what was the result of what you did? It could be a good result. It could be a bad result. You need to focus, obviously, on the good, but you also have to expound on that so that people can understand what exactly it is that you're bringing to the table. One of the taglines that you and I discussed on a call earlier was, and I just love it, how (laughs) is the wow? Yep. The how factor is the wow factor. Yep. One of my taglines, absolutely. You know, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. So one of the strategies that we use to actually help people identify, again, their core competency or their success is by using what we call the STAR technique. So STAR stands for situation, task, action, result. You can also do SOAR. We always use STAR. It's a lot easier for us. And what I always tell people is, okay, so what was the situation? What was the task at hand? What were the actions that you took? And lastly, how great were the results? So that how factor is going to show someone that you've been there, done that, and now you're bringing that skill set to their company. And that's what I mean by the wow factor. The wow factor is this person like knows their business inside and out. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for someone to just come into the company and of course, there's always like a learning curve. There's always training involved, but they want the person to come in and hit the ground running with what it is that they know how to do, and they'll learn everything else. You're so spot on with that because as someone who had a long business career, I, I often interviewed, whether it's at the executive level, but typically salespeople, and they would tell me about how much they grew sales and their relationships. And I say, okay, mm-hmm. choose one of those big relationships that you opened and walk me through the process of how you got it. And a lot of times it's head scratching. And oftentimes, what am I looking for? I'm looking for them to tell me, how did they come across the lead? How did they position their company in the market that convinced that buyer that they were the right fit? So you're looking for those core, the core understanding of what they may have had as to what the strategy they employed in order to get new business. And that's for anything, I would think. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is also they're trying to see how you think and they want to understand how you think very, very well, because, you know, it could be a scenario where you need to mesh well with a pre-existing team. Does your conceptualization or the way that you conceptualize, strategize and implement, does that align well with what our company is looking to achieve? So, Maria, what do you think is important about LinkedIn? A lot of kids, they hear about the power of networking getting your profile constantly up to date, connecting with people. How important is that in today's environment? Networking is absolutely key without any question whatsoever. It is the fiercest tool in your arsenal. That's what you have to always remember it as. LinkedIn is a place, not only is it 40% of the business that we yield every single year as an organization, that does not do any advertising, which is great. Mm. But what it also allows 
students and recent grads. And whether you are a junior in high school, college student getting ready to graduate, you should get on LinkedIn. One of the biggest successes that we have with that is we show students not, not just how to create a profile, but how to join groups and how to ask really great questions and how to connect with people that could potentially be a mentor or someone that would want to take a part in their life somehow as maybe, you know, just to give them advice or to guide them down the right path, which again is very similar to mentorship. I think that one of the most sought after things is faith in that individual. And that's what we're all looking for. We're always looking for someone to have faith in us. Imagine going on LinkedIn and then all of a sudden you have six emails from companies only because you joined a group And you put a post out there and you said, hi, my name is Maria Fry. I'm new to the group. I'm going to be graduating in June. And I'm so excited to be among such tremendous talent. I just had one quick question. What would your advice be to someone just starting out? And then you get all these emails back. You get these six emails back. And these people want to play a part in your success. Why? Because you put yourself out there and you ask the hard question. And it was only a hard question because you're not really familiar with that world yet. Let's see, AstraZeneca, HBO, Brookhaven National Lab, and a couple of other companies that actually took my students straight out of college, and they also had programs that paid for their tuition. And it was phenomenal. Why? Because these students listened, and they got on LinkedIn, and they started networking and cultivating relationships. And that network is not just for now. It's not just for when you first start out. It's not just for when this is my first job. This is forever. This can lead you to success so much faster because what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a scenario where people want to help you. Now, fast forward five or six years in the industry, they're not going to be as inclined to want to help you. Why? Because now you're more of a threat. Now you have skill set, right? So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, get in there now. My son is 15 next year. He's going to be a junior in high school. He already knows. He knows about LinkedIn. He knows that I'm already ready to go. I'm already creating his like, you know, his hero banner on there. He's like, mommy, he's like, this is ridiculous. And I'm like, no, it's not ridiculous because you know what? People need to see who you are. And I will tell you this, when you connect with someone and you have a good conversation and they realize why they want to play a part in your success and you feel that connection, it's almost like, I think a lot of people, they're in shock. They're like, well, why won't you just go through Monster Career Builder? Well, let me just clear that up really quick, too. 80% of jobs are never formally posted. Why do you think that is? Well, they don't want an abundance of people of which maybe, you know, 4,750 out of the 5,000 have nothing to do with the job. We call them serial appliers. But I think that what they do want is they want a small group of individuals that makes sense. So if you are out there and you're just using Monster Career Builder, Indeed, to find your opportunities, you're applying to the same 20% that the whole world is applying to. And it's not just people in New York, people from, let's say, you know, California, the Midwest, whatever, that are trying to get back to New York, you're contending against them as well. So by creating a network of trusted professionals, of people that are willing to give you the inside scoop, you're also creating a network of opportunity for yourself, not just now starting out, but forever. That's such great advice. So, Maria, as we're talking about, you know, college students, and there are those typical questions when you speaking to anyone who's just coming into the job world, and as an interviewer, you want to know who they are, what they're all about. What are some of those other probing questions that a typical job applicant will hear about, and what is it that the, that the questioner wants to really know? 
basically what they're trying to figure out is they're trying to figure out if you've got what it takes for them to bring you on board and to be able to deal with whatever it is that the job function requires. So I think what also is very interesting is I've been doing this for a very long time and I have presented many great candidates um, as a recruiter. So when we were doing recruitment, I would always present four candidates and they would always say to me, it's only three. And I'm like, yeah, but the fourth one's a wild card. And they're like, well, why would you present a wild card? And I'm like, because you know what? I think they have the right personality and I think that they would fit in very, very well with what it is that you're looking to achieve there. And what's amazing is about 30% of the time, the wild card would win. And so the reason I'm sharing that is the personality piece is tremendous. You may be a better candidate knowledge-wise or expertise-wise or even just having like the basic concept and understanding of what it is they want done. But then a fantastic candidate goes in with a great personality that has a similar, maybe not a strong skill set, and they win. They're the ones that are hired. So I think that, you know, the first thing is make sure that mentally you're in the right place when you start interviewing. And it doesn't matter if you're interviewing over the phone, via Zoom, in person, what have you. Make sure that you understand, you know, what is it about you that makes you different? What is it about you that makes you special? And it could be that maybe you volunteer for the community. So you're showing that you are different in the sense of I'm a community-centric individual I will bring that to the organization if the organization is looking for that. So that's why it's important to kind of do your due diligence at the beginning and understand what the company is really all about. Do they have a philanthropic arm? So finding all these little tidbits and how they relate to you, that's what wins out in many cases. On a funny note, I'm involved in a lot of car groups. I'm a car girl. I've always loved nice cars. And I can't tell you the amount of clients that I've gotten out of these groups. Hmm. And this has nothing to do with my business. We don't sell cars. We don't design them. We don't make them. But because we have that connection, it kind of like supersedes almost everything sometimes. And especially coming, you know, straight out of college or just starting out, I think it's so important for people to understand that that connection is tremendous. It's huge. It's huge. Let's continue with that whole thought because one of the aspects, and you've brought up to me in the past, which is the idea of coming up with your elevator pitch. What makes you different? And I think, you know, that's an important aspect if you could just give the listeners an idea, what is an elevator pitch? What are the elements? How long should it be? Give us some advice. Sure. So elevator pitch should be about 30 to 45 seconds long. You don't want it any longer than that. And it should have maybe three or four lines about you and what it is that you bring to the table. It could be, you know, especially when you're first starting out, you don't have the clinical expertise per se. You haven't worked maybe in a corporate environment, but you know what? Maybe you worked in, let's say, Salesforce or you studied Salesforce. It would behoove someone to take those skill sets before you even create the elevator pitch and just make sure that you're taking every opportunity to use them, even if it's in a volunteer capacity, because they want to see that. They want to see, again, what differentiates you. So people will say to me, they're like, oh my God, when you look at my LinkedIn profile, you see all these things. They're like, you do all these things at the same time? You work all these different things. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, that's like amazing. And I'm like, I volunteer a lot. I serve on a lot of boards. I do all this stuff. You don't have to be me to do that. Students, especially, you know, when you're getting ready, like two years before you're getting ready to graduate, my advice has always been, you better start networking. You better have a LinkedIn profile. You better be active on that. And the reason is, again, because what it allows you to do is it allows you to look at the company personnel. And to see what it is, what are the commonalities, 
And what should I embed in my elevator pitch to show them I'm one of them? A lot of people don't want to do that. It takes a lot of time. I know that, but it is the sweat equity that you put in there is one of the best things that you can ever do. Sometimes it's not necessarily what's different, but it's what is the same between you and that organization. What they're looking to achieve is something that you've always been very interested in. How, well, I volunteered for this, or I've done this, or maybe you're interested in the philanthropic arm of an organization. You know, all these massive companies, your Johnson & Johnson's, your AstraZeneca's, your, like, all these different companies, they have these philanthropic arms. Maybe it's something they do. Maybe that's what drives you. And so by putting a tidbit of information into your elevator pitch that shows them that that's the way that you think, that could be it right there, too. In the beginning of most interviews, there's a little bit of awkward time where you as the interviewer don't want to just bombard with questions. You're hoping that somebody comes prepared and brings some of those thoughts along. And part of that is to do your own skill set analysis. Even sites like LinkedIn, for example, they have tools to help you pull your skill sets together looking at what's important for maybe the job that you're going after. I learned something on the job, and let's say you're, uh, oh, I don't know, you're proficient at a specific type of program. Uh, Let's say you're really good at in Excel with pivot tables and analytics, but you're not certified in it. How do you bring that across to somebody that you know what you're doing in an area where you're not certified in it? I think one of the best things to do is, again, if you're talking about a resume or even an elevator pitch, it's giving an example of how you did it. So again, the how factor is that wow factor because it shows them you've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and guess what? I can do it for you too. If you can walk them through the steps that led you to success, they know that you've been there. They know that you're not, again, just saying that you did it because you want the job. So by giving an example of how you've done it, you know, it's very similar to, we work with Stony Brook University's Corpus Center for Education. And so my students are, in essence, management and executive management level professionals that are either displaced or looking to get their PMP cap and whatever. They're like, you know, I'm coming to get my PMP program. I don't have it, but I have like 30 years of project management experience. And I say to them, okay, well, the companies that you're looking for, are they requiring that PMP? I always ask that question before they even go into it because the PMP is not easy. It's not easy to pass. It's a difficult test. It's four hours, 200 questions. It's big. So I always ask people, I'm like, okay, here's a great opportunity, but let me ask you this. Do you need the certification? If it asks for the certification, sometimes it will say or equivalent. And so what's really important, again, is if it says or equivalent, make sure that you are able to walk them through how you've used that particular skill set or how you've used project management perhaps to achieve a particular goal. You know, the bottom line is this. You can have your PMP, but you don't, may not know anything about project management. Right. Every company is different. So what their concept of project management is, is very different. I've done project management my entire life. I continue to do project management because if you really think about it, if you really break it down, almost everything that we do, project, you know, homework, essays, anything like that, it's a project. So depending on what type, Again, and I'm using air quotes here, which you can't see what type of project they are looking for experience in. I think what's important is that if you have it, you speak of it. You make sure that it's in your elevator pitch. You make sure that it's in your resume. You make sure that it's on your LinkedIn profile. You know, it really just has to be, again, that's wow factor. Got it. One of the things I noticed on your website was it says workforce development is economic development. 
And in looking up what that means in terms of workforce development, is economic development sort of, it's, it's almost bifurcated into you evaluate the people and you evaluate the industry needs. I guess you kind of say, okay, what's in the region, what industries where people want to work, whether it's on Long Island or in New York City, and then what skill sets do I need to align with that in order to get people employed? Is that generally what you do in those areas? I'm on several workforce development boards. And so you have a good mixture of political figures, you have commissioners, you have all these people on these boards. And I remember one day they were talking about something and I just, I kind of put my hand up for a second there. And I said, you know, I said, I think we're forgetting that workforce development is economic development. At the end of the day, we depend on the workforce to work within the areas, the niches, the, the, you know, the companies that we have within our communities, our industrial parks, our IDAs, whatever you want to call them, and really bring that skill set. Because at the end of the day, we don't want people leaving, let's say you live on Long Island. We don't want people leaving Long Island and taking that skill set somewhere else when we have the second largest industrial park in Hop Hop. And that's just Hop Hop. We have, you know, Melville, which is what, Route 110, I think it is, is a massive industrial area there. There's one in Port Washington. Brookhaven has one. I mean, they're huge. And so one of the things that we do is whenever we complete an eight-week job search boot camp program, we present whomever it is, whether it's Stony Brook University, the Department of Labor, whomever the client is, we present them with a document that really does expound on the percentages of who works in what industry and where they're finding jobs. The reason I do that is because for me, it's really important, you know, as a mom, So I have a teenager, he's 15 years old, and I say to myself, okay, what's going to happen when he's 40 years old? What is this world going to look like? So I don't know how much you know about the IDA. So the industrial development agencies are charged with bringing businesses into the community. The reason I present those documents to the client is because I want them to understand, hey, we have a tremendous amount of executive level IT professionals or medical device professionals within the community. If you're going to attract businesses to come here, attract these types because we have the people to fill the jobs. important for people to understand that without workforce development, we don't have economic development, or nor do we have economic stability. Right. Without a skilled labor force to support that industry, they will often leave. And then now you're trying to fill that void again. If you could, I want to talk, what advice do you have for those searching for that first job or those starting their own business. And uh, talk a little bit, if you could, about there's an adage that's out there today is don't look for the job, look for the company you want to work for and then see mm-hmm. see an yeah. entry point. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. You know, it's funny because I think that one of the first things I tell my students whenever I do a presentation at any college, university, high school even, we're on so many high school boards, it's fantastic. But what I always say to them is I want you to make a list of 30 companies that you're interested in working with. And they're like, 30? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, why 30? And I always say to them, because by the time you hit about 12 or 15, now you're really going to have to start digging in and doing your due diligence. And the reason I also tell them to do that is because we have no idea how many businesses we have here on Long Island, massive, multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies. So I think that's really important. The other thing that I like is the fact that if you enjoy or if you're excited about the company or the product or what it is that they're doing, or maybe just their community centricity, if you want to call it that, I think that you're going to move forward in a much more motivated fashion. And that's what we need when we're looking for a job. We need motivation. 
it is daunting. It's a little scary, but you know, we can make it happen. So why not look for great companies that you're excited about? You know, what are your, your top companies that you want to work for? Make sure that what you're going for, you enjoy. Otherwise, you're not going to put your whole heart into it. And, you know, it's going to be a harder success than, uh, than it should be. Great advice. Last question for you, Maria. What one word describes who you are? Strategist. Absolutely. <laughs> I love strategy. I love anything where there's a problem and we have to fix it. I, it's funny because my team will sometimes look at me when there's a situation or something that we're trying to figure out. And I have this like little sideways little smile and they're like, there she goes. The wheels are already turning. And it's absolutely true. I love anything that has to do with being strategic, thinking outside the box, thinking creatively. And it has served me very, very well because, you know, for those entrepreneurs out there or individuals that are considering, do it, go for it, but make sure that you are resolute in whatever it is that you want to achieve. You're going to have negativos, as I call them, those negative people around you that are telling you, what are you doing? You know, I started ECMY with $500, a broken laptop that I prayed wouldn't conk out on me when I was doing a PowerPoint presentation and a lot of negativity because I started it during an economic crisis. It was really very bad. For a while there, it was really difficult to try and stay positive, stay motivated. But I had a solid plan in place. I had a solid mentor in place, someone that would kick my butt. And I think that we need that too. And that was how the whole strategy thing really started to come back into play. It was like, okay, so this didn't work out. What am I doing wrong? You know, keep track of everything that you do. Keep track of the, if you're sending out messages, emails, resumes, whatever it is that you're doing, keep track of everything. Be very, very mindful of what you're doing. And, um, you know, by keeping track, you're also putting yourself in a better situation because what you're doing is ultimately you're, you're realizing this is not working. I need to move on to this. Don't give it too much time. You know, just do it five or six times. If it doesn't work, move on to something different. Change the way that your, you know, your resume looks or the opening summary. Change your elevator pitch. If you're going on interviews and you're not getting past like 10 minutes, something is wrong. Something is going on. So I believe that strategy is, is everything today. I think it really is. Maria, that is wonderful advice. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this, and we really appreciate you being on this podcast series. Thank you so much, and thank you to NYIT. I enjoy working with you guys, and I definitely enjoyed today. Thanks, Maria. Maria highlighted the importance of being confident in what you believe you do very well, and that confidence is built through preparation and planning. She stressed the importance of defining the top three core offerings you can bring to a potential employer. To help develop these, she suggested using the STAR method, an acronym that stands for Situation, Task, Action, and Result. This will help you walk the interviewer through the steps that led you to succeed. Remember her tagline, the how factor is the wow factor. As Maria pointed out, an interviewer will be interested in more than your skill set to form a complete picture of who you are. So highlight what you're passionate about or your unique talents. For example, perhaps you're a community volunteer, do charity work, or even play an instrument. Look for opportunities to connect that transcend the job requirements. We discussed LinkedIn and the power of networking. At least two years before graduating, students should create a LinkedIn profile, then join groups in those industries or subjects that interest you. Put yourself out there. It will take time and effort, but you build a network of people you can count on. Be sure to develop an elevator pitch that, 
30 to 45 second commercial that encapsulates who you are, your skills, accomplishments, what sets you apart, and what you want to achieve. Lastly, Marie used the word strategist to describe who she is. Strategists define the actions, tactics, and resources required to fulfill a vision. She talked about being resolute. Despite the doubters and those negative people around you, stay positive and motivated. Thanks to Maria for sharing her experiences and valuable insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecca and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulina Lamanier for all their support. Until next time.